1: Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Deney. This is Gas Boyet.
2: This is Don Hutchison. This is Jurgen Klopp, and you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jurgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed plus lots of bonus content including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly q a so do please go to patreon.com forward slash graham hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so maybe even strangers in the street love you any kind of fan of Spanish football? Successful football? (laughs) Even if you're a Chelsea fan. Sorry lads. You'll know who Albert Ferrer is. But do you know why he's nicknamed Chappie? Did you know that he really shouldn't have featured at his home Olympics in 1992? (sighs) Do you know what's the worst thing about sharing a room with Pep Guardiola? No, of course you don't. But Albert Chappie Ferrer, gold medal winner. Part of the dream team. No, you're not dreaming. He was. He speaks to the big interview this time. This is part one. Almost unpredictably, there's a part two coming next. Maybe the centrepiece of this, if you believe like we do, that Roberto Mancini is some sort of footballing god. And remember, he goes back to the cemetery where his president of Sampdoria is buried. And he sits on the wall late at night to talk to him. Well... Roberto Mancini isn't simply a title winner at Manchester City and a beautiful European Championship winner with Italy. He's the man that Albert Ferrer was charged with man-marking in the 1992 Champions League final by Johan Cruyff so that Barca could win. Do you know who tells this better than me? Chappie Ferrer does. And here he comes. Hello there, big interview viewers and listeners. This is a long-term objective, to speak to the mighty Albert Ferrer, who we're lucky to have today because this isn't his scene. You're not a massive fan of looking back and the the past. And part of the reason we're here today, because it's fascinating, that somebody would like to change coaching... Ed Milson and, and Belletti and mm-hmm. maybe Rivaldo and Ronaldinho. Depending on the budget, a little bit tighter here. Uh, yeah, no, no, no pudding, no sweet, no dessert today. Because you're the coach of Barca legends, and you want to change that potentially for potentially for coaching maybe Bolton or Bournemouth or whatever um, to to get back to your passion. It's part of the reason we're here. But I'm right in thinking this isn't really your cup of tea. Normally to sit and talk about your achievements, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. I'll try to do my best. Um, Listen, I'm very proud of what I've got in football, so um, I'm okay to talk about uh, my experiences, what I want, uh, what uh, the titles that I want, Um, and also the bad moments that I go through. I think that everybody should understand that uh, players are human beings, and despite all they see, they read in the newspapers, there's a life behind that, and there are certain moments that you really struggle and you really have a, a bad experiences, and you have to get through them. So, um, yeah, no problem to talk about anything.
2: I think what I meant, and maybe I'm wrong, is that you're somebody who spends a lot of time in the present. You, you don't live by previous glories. But I like your intro because, you know, as let's see how much you remember of the feeling, because this year is going to be the anniversary of the Olympics that changed Barcelona, that changed Catalonia. Whether you think the Olympics changed everything for the better or not, Mm -hmm. we'll come on to. But there's a moment when you're a young emerging footballer, clearly already with talent. I think the Olympics are awarded before Johan Cruyff takes over your club, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless, there's a moment when, as a young Catalan, they award the Olympics to this city. Do you remember much about the, the... Excitement around you, or what it felt like to you when they actually said the Olympics are coming to my neighborhood.
1: Um, listen, I remember exactly the day that Barcelona was named as the Olympic uh, city. I lived in Rubi, which is 20 um, minutes uh, from from Barcelona, and my uh they have a history of, of bakery. We are bakers, you know, and um, and I was there, and and at the moment that they. Uh, Samarans called Barcelona I remember I was there with my family and and everybody jumped up and went crazy because it's Barcelona because I was born in Barcelona and, but listen, at that time obviously I was I don't know how, how old I was um, how long before uh, the Olympics the, the city was named yeah, uh, I five, think it's usually six, four five years obviously um, at that time I was about 14 maybe yeah possibly yeah about that age i never thought that i would make it anyway um but um yeah i was i was very happy to to well to um to see that the olympics were coming to barcelona then obviously there's been a huge uh work to change the city you've lived here um, barcelona you know how the city has changed um, after the Olympics, so everybody started to look to the sea again, so there is are uh, new structures, new infrastructures. Um, the city just changed uh, from well, 360 degrees, so it was, it was unbelievable uh, the change that the city lived at that time.
2: Because you were a, a kid and living in Ruby, I don't expect you to have seen all of this, but as a, as a new, because Catalan's always count you as a giddy, a new, new guy, even though I've been here 20 years, um, and I always will be a new guy. But I lived in Barcelona for a long time, and the stories about the Barceloneta before and after, and many people who know me will say, yeah, the Barceloneta for you was was before the Olympics, when it was a bit rocoso, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit... Um, I suppose if you made a comparison, if you ever watched Only Fools and Horses when you were in England, which was about guys selling things on the cheap and being a little bit quicker than the mm-hmm. law, but also the, the area where we are now, everybody says that from... The Olympic village that was constructed coming this way was industrial, quite run down, a, a little bit yeah. rough also. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah, So that's why they were very clever by opening up the city to something that we had that we didn't enjoy at that time, which is the sea. So we've got a fantastic sea. So the city, and mainly the Barcelona, they were looking inwards instead of looking... Oh. AdWords and looking at, at you know, the, the sea skates and water and everything. So uh, what they did basically is just clean up all that area, that area that uh, it was going to be uh, very touristic yeah, with yeah. the Olympics because obviously they had good restaurants and, um, and, and the location was, was fantastic. So they opened up that area to to the sea and the rest of the city also, it was greener, uh, it was fresher, it was cleaner. So you could see there's been a huge uh, work after Barcelona was named after uh, the Olympic. Uh, but uh, well, still there, um, so all these things that they built are still there. So we're happy to have now a fantastic city and, and mainly in my, in my experience, Graham, um, I think at that time the Olympic Games, uh, they were under 23. So there's no option for uh, experienced players, for all the players. And I was 22. Uh, but then there's a story before that that I would, I would explain to you because I got a, a long-term injury. I didn't... Uh,
2: your, your knee, right?
1: Yeah, I broke my, my ligaments, my in ligaments. In November
2: of 91? I
1: was November 91 in Logroño. Yeah. In Logroño. So, uh, well, what I meant is that uh, it was the, the only opportunity for us, for the players of our age to play the Olympics because we were 22. So, um, who knows? Uh, after 23 years old, when you get older, you cannot play the Olympics anymore. So it was a fantastic opportunity, and in Barcelona. So um, yeah, I broke my ligaments in Las Gaunas in Logroño. I did it myself. I just turn and twist, and uh, studs in the grass. Yeah, studs <laughs> on the grass. I just twisted, and and I knew that was something wrong. So I went back to Barcelona in the bus from Logroño, six seven hours, and when I get to the hospital, they did the test. Of taking some liquid off your knee And uh, it was blood so, um, so that was the Christian ligament there um, That was November I didn't really uh, I thought in the Olympics To be honest uh, The deadline was the Olympics Because Something
2: m- you might
1: get back for Exactly um, Before that A couple of months before that We played the final of in Wembley uh, But obviously I didn't know at that time That we would make it
2: so, um, when you say we, we'll come, we'll come back to this because the Olympics is a, and, and recovery is the, is the story. But when you say we, you're part of the dream team. Oh, yeah. You're part of Cruyff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the finals in Wembley. So when you say, you know, there was this thing going on in Wembley and we, that's the dream team going to what will become Barca's first ever European Cup. But your recuperation initially in your mind is... That's probably too cl- The end of the domestic club season for Barca Exactly, is possibly too close. Initially. Exactly,
1: because the final was twenty of May, so it, it would have been end of May, so I was broke my knee in November. So it was really, really tight. It was six months. So um, obviously, those injuries, uh, the minimum is six months. They're from there, it depends how you recover. But unfortunately, because of my constitution, because I'm, I've got a strong legs and, and, and very powerful muscles, so um, I've been working for six months, and mainly, um, Graham, is, is about recovering your, your, your strength in your leg, because the surgery itself, uh, you cannot start uh, running before three months, because mm-hmm. it, it needs to attach, and it needs to be solid. So I've, before three months, I couldn't do anything the first three months, it was very frustrated because all of a sudden you're playing a game and the day after you cannot even walk. So it's, mentally it's very tough. But uh, yeah, the last three months yeah, we did a good job. I say we because myself, uh, the fitness coach, uh, the physiotherapist, everybody. The, the
2: famous Paco Cerullo? Or Paco no? Cerillo
1: was there, but um, also is Angel Moore and... Famous, and famous. Joan Malgoza, I don't know if you remember. No. him. He was, was basically... A, a, the fitness coach in terms of gym things okay. and, and power and, and weights. So we, we work we worked for six months and the final of the Champions League was the 20th and I played my first game on the 10th, I think it was against Cádiz at home, ten days before the final. So uh, it was crazy, it was it was terrible mentally. But and then the final arrives and not only uh, staff from, uh, um, I've been chosen by to start the game in the first eleven, but also Johan just gave me the responsibility to mark uh, man-to-man all over the places to Roberto Mancini. You see,
2: this is a story you've told me before, and, and, and he, he, did, he did more because he was really specific, wasn't he, about that guy hmm. doesn't play, right? Yeah,
1: I did that before in the domestic league with players like Butragueño, like... Fran, the father of Nico wow, what a, what a, uh,
2: Fran didn't seem to touch the ground, man He was gorgeous. Exactly, so even Fran said to me Chappie,
1: leave me alone He said, look Fran, I, I don't want to do it I mean, I'm not playing You're not playing, but you're not playing So it's the manager, it's Johan, who told me to be on you So uh, we had a good relationship So I had the responsibility There was an extra time, obviously I was dead In the last minute, but we got it and from there, then obviously I still had a month to the Olympics, and and I played them.
2: So, but wait, so you make it? But I wonder if there, are, because you you began this by talking about a lot of us forgetting that, that players are human beings too. Mm-hmm. It's a theme that comes out in our interviews a lot because some younger audience are taught that footballers are commodities mm-hmm. because. And younger journalists too, because in my day, Mm -hmm. when I began, the manager would take you into his office for a little glass of whiskey at the end Mm -hmm. of the game, whether you were his friend or not. So you build relationships. Now, that doesn't always mean positive, but it can lead to understanding. So I would ask you, weren't you carrying more than the nerves about your knee and your recuperation into Wembley? Because everybody I've ever spoken to from that era, from that team talks about the, the weight of Madrid having been the dominant club, Barcelona having been to the final a couple of times in the lost, in the 60s, but also stalbo But also there's this crazy thing that maybe you can confirm or deny, but Cruyff is the author of The World Knowing About It. He said that before there was a, a pessimism, that, in, whereas in Madrid there was Heta, we are Madrid, in Catalonia, there was no. We better not. There was something about the mentality. We so, are very
1: pessimists. We have always been pessimists. So uh, since Johan arrived, I think it changed everything. It took a couple of seasons, um, from the 88th to 90th, 1991 is the one that they arrived and from there. Uh, fortunately for me, we won four consecutive leagues. So when we got to Wembley, we already won uh, two leagues titles in a row, and one was against Real Madrid, the first one in Tenerife. So we got to that final, and talking to people, even talking to Julio Salinas, um, myself, and I, I was very close to, to miss the final because of a gastroenteritis. So... Um, you get so close because of the knee, and you nearly miss it because... My knee was perfect, but then because of the, I don't know, the stress or it whatever you want to call it, I don't know if it's because of the previous six months, it's because it was the first final, well the, the first time that we could really achieve the objective to winning a, a title a Champions League or Europa, Copa Europa for Barcelona in his in history, so um, I, I nearly missed it. So the last day I couldn't train, so it wasn't until the last hour that I... You felt weak? I felt weak, and, uh, but at the moment that I stepped on the ground uh, for the warm-up, and I see this stand full of, because we warm up on the Barcelona stand, full of Barcelona supporters, and it was sounding, um, you know, the, the Monserrat Caballen Fred the Mercury song, Barcelona. Wow. So that was... Which is unbelievable. unbelievable. It was anyway. so emotional. Yeah. And de yeah, Exactly. At, at the moment, it was incredible because Julio Selena said the same to me. Julio was just crazy two hours before in the dressing room. He didn't know what to do. He felt sick. So at the moment that I uh, just stepped on the grass and everything went like that. And within a second, we started to... Focus in the, you know, in the warming up and people and objective, and that was it. But the previous three days, because we went three days earlier, they must have seemed long, terribly long. Because we normally go with Johan, we we did that. We we play on Wednesday. We normally in Montaña when we when we stayed when we play at home. Uh, we went on Monday, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Sometimes now, I think now they go the same day, if, they, if it's possible. Well, one of your teammates
2: introduced the idea about the opposite. Exactly. That's when Guardiola is the coach, he says, I want these guys focused on on the game. Everything else, if they give me in the game, they get their free time, but, but, but Cruyff... Also, the Italian way then was yeah, yeah, exactly. isolation.
1: Exactly. Isolation and don't think about it and get out of the city and, and people. So um, we were there two or, th- uh, two or three days. And, and then on top of that, it's fair to say that I didn't enjoy the game. Um, if you talk to people, very few of us enjoyed that game because of the responsibility that we had. And obviously it was a tight game, but uh, the responsibility that's, for That's us.
2: in your head as you're competing?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, was you competing? Not, but there is no a moment where you just relax and... And enjoy it. I understand. Yeah, you know what you, I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. We relax on the pitch and, you know, no, it was all tension.
2: Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel, We've begun filming all of our interviews and there are already loads of clips with guests including Rio Ferdinand, Conor Cody, Brendan Rogers and Jamie Carragher plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. what did you know about? how much did you know about Mancini before in terms of because you're we're going to talk about your coaching skills in the second half of the interview but you're a detailed man you know mm-hmm. you, you you've often said in your past you like to be under pressure if, you, if you're not put under pressure maybe you don't yep. get but when you're under pressure I've seen you working La Liga television you like detail you like to study in those days you couldn't do that no what did how much do you remember knowing about Mancini before you started
1: well, um, the staff just talk about me because at that time we didn't use the videos. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about me, how he was. Obviously, I saw him playing before, but um, what he normally does on the pitch. He, they said to me that he's got a lot of uh, had a lot of freedom to move all over the places. And that the main thing or the most important thing is trying to be close to him so he cannot get the, on the ball. So at the moment that he gets on the ball and he controls the ball, he's Similar like Roberto Baggio, you know, that yep. had an individual marking also in Turin. So uh, these kind of players, that is better that they don't receive the ball. So that means to be on top of them from the beginning till the end and get out of position all the time. So when Johan planned the tactics for that game um, in, the, in, the meeting, in the previous meeting, they didn't count on me. So it was like a 10v10 tactical preparation because we all know that myself and Mancini will be doing marking him. L- doing a
2: little dance age 19 20 21 yeah. okay so 21 you, you you played in a final before because you, you played mm-hmm. in Rotterdam against Manchester United yeah but at 21 I'd argue even when Johan Cruyff gives you the instructions you've got to have big bollocks when Mancini goes okay I'm going to take you way over there now you're the, nominally you're the right back mm-hmm. so even Johan Cruyff the great man has said Albert, oh, but this is catanacho you, you're he's in your mm-hmm. pocket everywhere he goes to the toilet you go with mm-hmm. even so when he takes you way over there there's something in the back of your head that you've been trained. with. What am I doing over here? Yeah. You need big bollocks. Yeah, well, um, I need to do what <laughs> Johan said.
1: Uh, I mean, I had my opinion, but obviously if it was good for the team, I had to do it. Obviously, I wasn't I was not enjoying that game when I had to mark Moutragegno um, or Mancini or Fran. I didn't enjoy those games because you have to think that um, when we don't have the ball, I have to do that. I have to mark. But normally possibly not in that final, but in the rest of the games, we had most of the ball. So uh, I was all the time out of position. I would try to ask for the ball and be involved, but in, in positions, in places that possibly pe- players don't give me the ball because, you know, it was a strange, enough you know, for them. So this is something I had to do. But uh, I did, I did that, uh, that job, I think I did pretty good, um, I just last for 120 minutes after being six months without plane, so I was very I was really happy. But then there's another history, because it's not only what happened before, it's what happened after. So obviously for the gastroenteritis, I, I took some pills. And then I had to do the anti-doping uh, test. Okay, so um, everybody went in to celebrate, I had to go to the, to the anti-doping room, so I lost, or I missed the celebration. <laughs> The celebration the in the, joy, the...
2: The the immediate return for 120 minutes of closing down Roberto Martini and you're like, and this is what I get?
1: Yeah, it was terrible because... And you couldn't piss? Uh, no, of course, it took, it took ages. It took an hour or something. And so I did the test, but in my mind it was... I'd, straight after I did the test, I asked the doctor, doctor, please, did you write down everything that I, that I took? Yeah, Because obviously... And he said, yeah, don't worry, because uh, everything is, it is... All the pills that I gave you, they're allowed um, for the medical staff, so that's not a problem. But um, because of the pessimist, kind of uh, <laughs> mentally, that we are the the, the culés, uh, I thought, let's see if, if he put something that I couldn't take. Um, I was thinking even if if, I, if I, I would have given positive, look how silly I was, that they could take the Copa Europa from us. I mean, it would have... This, I would have been sanctioned, this but it's
2: just something inside that comes out and goes,
1: What exa- if? What exactly. If. Uh, Graham, it took three weeks because they send the results to you by mail, no email, but mail at yeah. home. Yeah. So it takes three weeks to receive the letter from the anti-doping. So it was crazy these three weeks. How how bad I I felt, and unfortunately everything. When, and everything when the
2: letter was, opens? Yeah, I think everything was fine. If I don't remember wrong, Pep Guardiola says subsequently that he drank so much, the night that the next day he was so ill and he couldn't eat his breakfast, Joan Gaspar went swimming in the Thames...
1: Yeah, yeah, that was after... <laughs> I mean, but you... I you, you, you was a very unusual final, so we did, uh, all of us, or most of us, we did silly things because of the responsibility thing, um, Brian. because, again... Um, with the history, of Barcelona to be the first team who won the first um, Copa de Europa for the club after 100 years of history, so that responsibility after what happened in Sevilla against Estehawa, it was for us. So we, we didn't really enjoy, it, but now that you're playing it, um, obviously it's it becomes. It's the uh, right a way to be. Nice
2: Listen, story. if it was me in there, like London would have been torn to the ground. So <laughs> it's just as well it wasn't me. But it meant that you, you once you get the letter and everything is relaxed. Um, into June, you're only a couple of weeks away from playing Olympic football. When, when, does, when does the message come to you? Your coach is Vicente, Miera. Vicente Miera, yeah. When does the message come to um, you? Through my injury, they
1: already talked to me. That, we want you. Yeah, that if I got back on time, I will be on the squad. Um, so, um, yeah, I knew I was going to go if I made it. So, um, before that, there was a previous, kind of uh, pre, pre, pre-season, let's say, it was in... Cervera and Pisuerga, I will never forget, in Segovia, fantastic, Parador, but boring as hell. <laughs> so I was there one week uh, training with some lads, it was the pre-team, all, not all of them went, because I think Real Madrid and Madrid will play in the final of the cup, so the players didn't take later. So uh, I stayed with, uh, I'm talking about uh, being a stranger, I stayed with Pep uh, for one week in in the room, sharing the room, and that was terrible, because Pep was in a mood where, you know, in a moment that he just decided, I'm going to stay in the room for a week, reading my books, not talking to anyone. <laughs> so I got into the room, and uh, uh, Pep was like, you know, in, in that mood. that just leave me alone. And, and In his little bubble. Yeah. So I couldn't talk to him much. Thanks, mate. And then we invaded a tournament of uh, snooker. Yeah. And I played with a couple of... Uh, players uh, at the tournament at the hotel. This is the
2: secret third medal? Did, did you win? I think we won that tournament, you can yeah. You say yes for the benefits yeah, of the Yeah, I think <laughs> we won that
1: tournament uh, with Chichi Soler and, and Vidal from Mallorca. Wait. Um, yeah, so uh, it was a very difficult time, the pre-season, pre and then obviously we moved to Valencia and, and everything was fine from there, but we were away, we've been away of the Barcelona.
2: People won't know, people listen to this and... Part of the reason I I mention it is that it's now what 30 years. That's what we're going to be celebrating in August. A lot of people won't know and they won't understand why Valencia. Three hours down the road, it's the Barcelona Olympics, what the hell?
1: Well, I think the federation just took a a very wise decision there. Because if we would have stayed, we call it the Olympic, I don't know how it's in English. Yeah, the Olympic village. The Olympic village. Um, That was a mess. Um, you from might day w- from, to play from day one. <laughs> it was amazing. It was parties every night, so um, we could have really lost concentration in the tournament. And uh, but uh, more problems because uh, Vicente Mira was so concentrated in the tournament, and we had so much pressure also because uh, we were the host, you know. So we were not allowed to go to the opening of the Olympic the ceremony. Wow! So um, there was a big problem there, and then all the players decided to talk to. The, the boss of the federation um, and then against the manager Whoa. because he didn't go to Barcelona we took a plane and we went to the opening seriously <laughs> yeah that was crazy so um, we were waiting to come out because we were the last the last country to come out yeah. um, we were waiting the Palau San Jordi and I remember that day when we went out and it was the moment of uh, the uh, dream team the NBA dream team so we were all looking for uh, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. Charlie so, uh, Barkley. That was our time to, to do this round all over the pitch, around the pitch, and see these guys there. But uh, we were not we were not going. So we just we decided to go, but we were not going. And um, and then everything we came back the day after, and everything started in Valencia. The game that we play against Colombia. No, there you go.
2: Well, first of all, I'm pretty pissed off with the, the Valencian public. Eighteen thousand people. No, that's
1: ridiculous. N- that was what I was going to say. The first game, there was nobody on the stadium. They're not interested. Listen, we didn't, we didn't even have a sponsor. We had no sponsor. You know why? Because the Olympics, everybody pays attention to obviously athletics and, mm. and all this stuff. Football in the Olympics in that time it was because it was no professional. It was under 23, so nobody really thought that we would do something. No sponsor on the shirt and uh, no people in the stadium the first game. It is true that after we start to winning games, people will come, but... Um, Just so that
2: everybody knows, in goals, Tony, Albert Ferrer, Lassa, Solazabal, López, Abelardo, Berges, Luis Enrique, Pep Guardiola, Kiko, Alfonso, and then coming down a little bit, Canizares, uh, Amavisca, Manjarin, Penilla, who you've been with throughout your career, a Catalan striker at Barça... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm playing opposite you, one or two names, including uh, Faustino Asprilla. Um, but yeah, because we, we, I, I don't ask you to not, to remember every single detail. Uh, I spoke to Kenny Clark, who was the linesman from Scotland, Marcus Merck was the referee, and he said it's one of the most memorable games he's ever had. And, and for those <laughs> who don't, it's about 62 yellow cards, something like that, four reds. <laughs> And it all starts in the second minute with a foul, a bookable foul by one.
1: Yeah, I got, hour the, from I got a the yellow in the second minute. Yeah, and, I really, and the
2: madness began.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a very tough game, a very intense game. Um, well, actually, as you said, um, 18th minute, uh, player sent off from Colombia, 23 and 53 two sending off for us, and then 87 for Colombia. So it was, it was a crazy game, very intense. Uh, you know the. The games against South American teams normally they tend to be intense, and, uh, but that was our first victory and then after that day we started to... Egypt. Yeah, Egypt.
2: Who had um, Tamar Hamid sent yeah. off, mm-hmm. um, I think Qatar, who had
1: two players. And then in the quarterfinals I think it was Italy that I missed that game. You did? Because of the of booking, <laughs> of course.
2: yeah. Then it's Ghana. And a man who, who must hate Barcelona, Sammy Kafour, hmm. who famously smashes the ground in Manchester United, Bayern Munich in 1999 in the Champions League final, sent off. Okay, it's in Valencia and it's Spain 2-0. Abelardo scores. Mm-hmm. And you're in the final. Um, I wonder, stepping back for a second, what was going on around you? There, there weren't mobile phones, but your family, everybody that's... that's taught you things, everything everybody that's mattered to you before you become even a semi-successful footballer see you um, doing a grievous injury, coming back winning the first European Cup, being picked for the Olympic mm-hmm. squad and now you're on the verge of the final the final which will be translated from Mestalla because all these games I'm certain are in Mestalla until mm. the final yep. and now you're coming up to camp now D- did, did you have any sense at all from phone calls or I don't know if they wrote you letters
1: oh uh, yeah that, that was crazy the days, the previous days uh, to the final that was crazy people phoning phoning and, and talking to me because they realised that now we made it and and well football in the Olympics. okay we're going to play in the no um, 100,000 people they were there how,
2: how many did you expect because there is not a big feeling for the red of we Spain we expected full yeah
1: yeah because of uh, it was generated in the media um, a, a fantastic uh, according of opinion so um, from the, the quarterfinals that we beat Italy everything changed so every, everybody started to take us a little bit seriously you know so um, just getting to the final um, and being able to win a gold medal because
2: but Both. there's not a great feeling for the red jersey of Spain in, in Canao and in Barcelona.
1: No, but uh, listen it was it was fantastic. So it, that it just was, got
2: set aside.
1: Exactly. I mean there was no no problem at all there. So um, it was Olympics, it was completely different, so it was full of people and uh, and the atmosphere was was great. So um, we put hundred thousand people there. And yeah it was it was a great game, a game that um, that we started winning, then this Poland scored twice, so we had to turn this around again. And I remember the last goal, it was a corner kick that I took in the minute 89, I think. And the ball went to Luis Enrique, who had a shot. it went back to Kiko, if I don't remember partly, and Kiko just smashed it into the net in the 86, 87th minute. The picture that it was famous in the Olympics was... Unfortunately, I was close to Kiko, so Kiko going on his knees and myself just uh, celebrating with him, and, and that was crazy. That was unbelievable. In that game, I was very close to score a goal. I hit the post, so, you know, everything was, was unbelievable. And right, we have to understand also, possibly for people who who is not born in Barcelona, um, I heard the word Barcelona in, when I was 13, 14. I was playing the final in Barcelona. In my stadium, at the Nou Camp, Um, being player of Barcelona and now player of the national team with the possibility to win a gold medal and I won it so it was like what else I can ask for you know so seven months ago I couldn't couldn't even walk and seven months later I'm I'm here celebrating a gold medal in my neck (laughs) hanging from my neck and in the no camp. so that was that was crazy Uh, everything
2: that you've just talked about the product of hard work or do you believe in luck, fate, destiny? Hard work is,
1: is necessary, but I, I think that all elite athletes have it because um, this is the minimum. And, and luck, yeah, you need luck, um, definitely. Uh, when I signed for Barcelona, I was 13. I was signed as a striker from my, from my college, from my school. And then the right-back injured, uh, they tried me as a right-back. And, and from there, I played right-back. Because as a striker, I I wouldn't make it in the first team. Uh, So everything, you know, there's certain moments And the life. Johan Cruyff said to me when I was at Barcelona B, go to Tenerife, six months, get experience Mm -hmm. in first division. I was second division B, first division, two categories. uh, And then you're going to be back at the end of the loan. Yeah. Okay, you think, yeah, but you know, you never know. So, um, and I went back. Um, yeah. at the first day I was not the first team So um, everything went right Our
2: sponsors Bet365 asked two questions And you pick one Either how do you rate Spain's chances for the World Cup this year in Qatar Or where did the nickname Chappie come from? You pick. Um The chances for Spanish yeah, Spain Yeah,
1: Spain to win the World Cup Well, I'll tell you the, the two of them Chappie is very, is very fast Chapi comes from Chapa And Chapa in Spain is the, the top of the bottle You know so, one of the possibilities is Chapa because I'm very small, I'm short. Another possibility, being a Chapa in, in football in Spain, colloquially, um, it means being very busy in the market. You're a Chapa, you're busy. You're oh, that's the one we choose then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. So, any of them too. And then, Spanish possibilities, a national team, I think they have a lot. Yeah. Because they have improved so much under Luis Enrique. It's a brave national team, a brave team presses high all the time um, they play fast, they have quality um, they have uh, ability to move the ball from right to left they have fast wings and, and they have directness so Lucho is like that uh, Lucho is a top man so I, I had the, the, coach, the coaching coach with, with him Is a, a manager that it um, will go straight to you, you might know him Uh, No jokes with him, no talking from behind. There aren't many people
2: like him, are there?
1: I love him, I love him. Me too, 100%. What you see is what you get. I love Luis Enrique and the way that Spain team, because he went from that way of playing from the minute one. Every single training, I watch all the trainings of the national team, because for television also I do the national team games. And the trainings are exactly the same. Um, High press, intensity, don't lose the ball, right to left, being brave... um, Look at Spain, how they play now, obviously they didn't, they didn't win the last um, Nations League Semi-final, game. Semi-final,
2: final. Semi-final in the Euro, final in the Nations League.
1: They could have won for it. For so. a team
2: full of guys who are 17, 18. Exactly. No other coach in the world puts Gavi straight in there. As good as Gavi is, no other coach has Gabby, to bring
1: So um, It's unbelievable. That's what I mean. Um, I mean. We have the same kind of mentality. So it doesn't matter if you're 17, if you are good, you have to play.